0: Dr. Jason Lancaster.
1: Let's turn back to the book of Job once again. And see Job chapter 28 is where we're going to start. We're going to cover three chapters, four chapters actually. I know some of you are new. Um, you've come at a good time. Job's friends have passed off the scene. Their wisdom and their ways of viewing suffering were not applicable but errant and harmful You see, they believed that Job was suffering due to his sin and he would be restored if he just repented. And then Job pushed back and he defended his innocence and he appealed to God for insight on his suffering and his friends thought they had wisdom to figure it out. They were wrong. And here's the question. Where can wisdom be found? That's the answer that we're asking And I believe in the world of chaos and confusion and suffering. The answer is very important. Where can wisdom be found? This is where we're going to begin in Job chapter 28. And we're going to start with mining for some minerals. I thought about wearing a headlamp today, my miner's hat, which I don't have. Um, But you get the imagery. Let's let's read it. Job 28 verse 1. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. "'Iron is taken from the dust "'and copper is smelted from rock. "'Man puts an end to darkness "'and to the farthest limit he searches out, "'the rock in gloom and deep shadow. "'He sinks a shaft far from habitation, "'forgotten by the foot. "'They hang and swing to and fro from men, "'far from men. "'The earth from it comes food "'and underneath it is turned up as fire. "'Its rocks are the source of sapphires "'and its dust contains gold.' The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint, he overturns the mountains at the base. He hews out channels through the rocks, and his eyes see anything precious. He dams up the streams from the flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. Got some good imagery here of some humans, hard Doing some work, digging out silver, gold, iron, copper, and sapphires. They bring it out from the darkness into the light. They were once hidden, but now they're revealed. So what about wisdom? Can we go mining for wisdom? Look at verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Okay, so we can dig for gold, but can we dig for wisdom? Look at verse 13. Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed at its price. All right, so what's going on here? It seems that it's saying that wisdom can't be found on the earth. It can't be found inside the earth can't be found in the sea. In fact, you can have all the silver and the gold that you want, and it will not buy you wisdom. You can think of the richest, one of the richest men in the world, Bill Gates. Money galore. Cheats on his wife. That's not wise at all. And all his money did not produce wisdom. So the question is, where can wisdom be found? Pick it up. Verse 20. Stick with me here. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? What's the answer? Verse 23. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. There's the answer God is the source of wisdom. He's the one that created the world, He sustains the world, and He has told us in Him is wisdom. He is the solution to fear Him and depart from evil. Job's friends. They think that they have so much wisdom, but they didn't fear the Lord as they callously assume the way God must work. But fearing the Lord realizes that God is God and we are not. He's holy or broken. And a proper fear of the Lord will turn away from evil and is totally dependent on the Lord. So basically what we're saying is this, to fear the Lord, to walk in wisdom, is basically saying you're God, apart from you, I have no good thing. I know nothing and I am nothing and I submit to you completely. There's this podcast. If you don't know what a podcast is, uh, let's just pretend like it's a radio show. All right. There's this podcast and it's called How Stuff Works and they teach how certain things work like how magnets work or how the Panama Canal works or how sleepwalking works. In our context, we could say, Wisdom knows how stuff works. Wisdom knows how life works. Wisdom is part of God's grand design and showing us how life works. It's laid out for us in the Bible. And Job's three friends, if they were brought on this podcast, they would ruin it. Because they would assume the way that God works. If you're suffering, if you're in a trial, it's your fault no matter what. They would ruin the broadcast. But what they fail to see is that we have an all wise God doing something in and through suffering that has nothing to do with Job's sin. One of the things that I think would be a good thing for us to get is that oftentimes suffering and trials come into our lives not because a connection to a specific sin. It's because God is doing something in and through our lives that would not and could not be accomplished without suffering. We are often not fans of those trials. And yet it's God's plan. So Job pulls back. He says his friends are not wise, God is wise, I'm going through trials, somehow the perspective of God is going to help me. So this is what we're gonna do. He's gonna say, okay, let me talk about my past, chapter 29. Then he's gonna say, let me talk about my present, chapter 30. And then he can say, let me talk about my future, chapter 31. And what he's trying to do and why I found this so helpful is that this kind of teaching helps me reflect upon my past, my present, and my future in light of God's wisdom. Because I don't know about you, I often wrongly overexamine my life. I do it in wrong ways. You see, some of us think we know how life works until suffering comes. And I don't know about you, but when suffering comes, I tend to shut down. We have the mindset, at least I do, that I'm going to be running out the clock on this trial. You understand the terminology of running out the clock? Like if you're playing basketball, game's almost over, one team will just dribble the ball to run out the clock. Or in football, they will kneel down to run out the clock. Some of us, when we face trials, we were engaged in the game, we were running after God, and when the trial hits, We shut down. You're like, okay, God, I'm still going to follow you, but I'm going to pretty much run out the clock right now and I'm not going to be very engaged with you. Think about a trial that you faced where you just pretty much said, I'm out, I give up, whatever you want to do, God, I'm not going to engage with you or pray or follow you right now, but I'm just going to whatever you want to do. And you just kind of have a give up attitude. I remember my 20s when I took care of my grandmother who was ailing. I was her caretaker. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been a caretaker, but that, there's something about being a caretaker that can make you so depressed. I don't know what it is. It could be the same routine day after day, it just makes you down and things don't seem to be getting better. I know things weren't going to turn around for my grandmother. And I think, you know, let's just run out the clock. Let's just kind of whatever. I'm not going to engage with God over this. I'm not going to continue to engage in his work. I'm just going to kind of just run out the clock. And some of you may be there right now. You're like, yeah, I was walking with the Lord. I was following him. I was going all out. But I hit this trial, and I'm just going to run this clock out until it's done. And then I'll be back on board with you then. There is another way. Let's see what Job has to say as he's going through this trial. Start with verse 29, As chapter 29 as we talk about his past. Chapter 29, verse 1. And Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me. When his lamp shone over my head and by his light I have walked through darkness. As I was in the prime of my days when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me and my children were around me. So Job reflects on his past when he was in the prime of his days. God was his friend. God was his protector. And you can almost hear the longing. My children were around me. Now, in case you don't know, Job has lost all 10 of his children. If you ever had a a child who's died, it's devastating. He lost them all. And during this time, he had his kids. He was respected. Young men feared him. Those older respected him. The nobles stood in awe. Job was so full of wisdom and compassion. Look what it says in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help... And the orphan who had no helper, the blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Job was the man. He was full of justice, he was full of compassion, he was full of righteousness. He helped the vulnerable, he crushed the wicked. People would come to him for wisdom. He would intervene where necessary. People listened to him. He settled cases and disputes. His life was good. And he was being used for the glory of God to help society. And Job thought, this is the life. And God will continue to use me until my end. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. He says, then I thought, I shall die in my nest. And I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters, and dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is ever new with me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. Mm. that was a good life. You notice he's not reflecting on his life with regret, but is seeing his past as good, as healthy, full of family. He was being used by God, and he was serving others. I and mean, of course, he wants that all back Maybe your life in the past was better than it is now. Maybe you were serving the Lord, full of strength and being used by God, and then tragedy comes crashing down. And when tragedy comes crashing down, it's hard to reflect anything in the past with gratefulness. Spurgeon has said that we, too many times, we write our blessings in sand and engrave our sorrows in marble. no matter how hard your life is right now, chances are you can look back and be thankful for what God was doing to draw you to himself. Someone said, when I'm having a hard time living by faith, I try to live by hindsight, reflecting back on God's faithfulness. And I have a, I I mean, I just, I'm so bad at this. In 2017, my world imploded. As I've said to you before, I had a breakdown. My body was not working. My mind was not working. I could not function. A lot of it had to do with some drama and trauma going on. The time of our church was having a lot of multi-ethnic conflict within it and what that looked like within the church. There was so much conflict and and I was in the middle of it and I just broke down. And what I tend to do is I look at the event that happened to me and I say that everything before that is bad. All the good blessings, all the baptisms, all the church plants, all the people getting saved, none of that matters. Because of this event, I had one of my former elders email me last week and he said, you know what? Yes, things have been hard and things blew up, but he started listing off all the things that he was grateful for and thankful for that God had did among us. And so my brothers and sisters, I tell you this, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how hard your past has been, take your past and be thankful for some of the things that God has done to draw you to himself. Yes, I know it's some bad stuff too. I get that. But we think about our past. What can we tick off, list off, write down, here are the things I'm thankful that God has done in my past to draw me to himself. You're like, okay, well, that's cool. I can can be thankful for God has done in the past, but what about my present? What am I supposed to do with my present sufferings? Oh, back to Job, back to Job. And he's not always a good example, by the way, but let's go back to him anyway. Basically, he's in that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. So now look at chapter 30, verse 1. But now, (laughs) good days are over. But now those younger than I mock me, whose fathers I disdain to put with the dogs of my flock. So now Job is being made of by young punks whose dads weren't even worthy to live with Job's dogs. Just skip down to verse 9. Look at verse 9. And now I have become their taunt. I have even become a byword to them. They abhor me and stand aloof from me, and they do not refrain from spitting at my face. Gross. Not only are people against Job, but he views that not only have people harmed him, but he views that God has let people loose on him. Verse 11. Because he has loosed his bowstring and afflicted me, they have cast off the brittle before me. So God used to protect him from foolish men. Now foolish men have free reign on him. And not only does God allow it, but Job have used the attacks as also coming directly from God. Jump down to verse 19. This is what he says of God. He cast me into the mire and I become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help. But you do not answer me. I stand up and you turn your attention against me. You have become cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. Wow. Have things ever become so hard in your life that you've said to God, you have become cruel to me. He's expressing these emotions that he's feeling. A lot of the Psalms do this as well. He's crying out to God in prayer and yet he is getting No answer, he used to help the poor, he used to help those who are needy, but at this moment right now, nobody's helping him. Verse 25, verse 25. Have I not wept for the one whose life is hard? (laughs) Was not my soul grieved for the needy? When I expected good, then evil came. When I waited for light, then darkness came. I am seething within and cannot relax. You ever get so much pain you can't even relax? Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning without comfort. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. Job is crying out and no one is receiving him. And in his viewpoint, not even God. Now, we need to insert some truth here. It's been said that you need to know what you think about God before you face calamity. You got to kind of root yourself in what you think about God before hard time comes. And so I'm going to ask you this question. No matter what you're going through right now, if you're a believer in Christ, is God for you or is he against you? He's for you, right? Even though you may feel as if he's against you, God is for you. He is not angry at you. You may have blown up your life. But God is not against you in Christ. He will never leave you nor forsake you, nor is he against you. And so the question is, if God is not against me, then why is this pain happening to me? Don't you wish you could have an answer to that? If I ask for a show of hands, how many of you want to know why you are going through what you're going through? And if you said, yeah, I I just want to know, would that fix it if you knew why? Job doesn't know why. There's also another guy in the Bible who didn't know why. There's this guy named the Apostle Paul, and he had some type of something going on with him that was called a thorn he asked the Lord three times to remove. For example, let me read this to you, 2 Corinthians. Do we have this? 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through Nine, let me read this to you. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, huh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for power Is perfected in weakness. Does that messenger of Satan remind you of anything? (laughs) Job, what he's going through? And yet, in order to keep Paul humble and dependent upon the Lord, God didn't remove it. And God says, In your weakness, you will be strong. Did Paul quit? Did Paul think, Forget this, I'm just going to run out the clock? Paul was still engaged through prayer. He was still in community, and he was still serving the Lord. I read a book this week called This Too Shall Pass. It's about a woman in her 30s. She's married, four kids. She was employed by her church, and some ailment came upon her, early 30s. She went from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor to figure out what is going on. Her body was breaking down. She couldn't stand up. Her face was on fire and pain at the time. She couldn't comb her hair because her head hurt so bad. They have no idea what was wrong with her. I don't know if any of you have ever had an ailment, and the most frustrating thing is you don't even know what's going on. You're going from doctor to doctor to doctor. What's what's going on? What's the the solution? And, and, And you know, as I'm reading through this book, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this too shall pass. Let's get the ending where all this passed for her and it never came. <laughs> yeah, like, well, what kind of book is that? That sounds a lot like the Bible, doesn't it? And this girl in her 30s with her husband, she was not running out the clock, she was not giving up. She's still pressing on in the Lord, crying out to him for healing, continuing to serve and love her children. And serve and love her church. Was she healed at the end of the book? So far, no. But she was not going to just give up and quit and run out the clock. God still had a plan for her, and even in her weakness, she's strong. And now we come to the future, chapter 31. So far, we've seen our past, we want to be grateful. And in our present, we don't want to run out the clock still run after God, and now the future. Job is laying out this future where he's hoping he is one day going to be found innocent and restored. Chapter 31. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? And what is the portion of God from above or the heritage of the Almighty from on high? Is it not calamity to the unjust and disaster to those who work iniquity? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? So Job has not been walking in the sin of lust. He's not been walking in injustice or any type of iniquity because he says God sees all his ways and numbers his steps. He says God knows and one day God is going to declare him innocent or so he hopes. And Job has walked in the ways of God. But if he lied, let calamity come upon him. If he commits adultery, then let punishment come down on him. If he's neglected his servants, then let God judge him. If he's neglected the poor, the widow and the orphan, then let the consequences come. Job's saying, if I've done something wrong, strike me right now. In fact, he says in verse 22, look at this imagery. (laughs) Verse 22, this imagery is pretty crazy. He says, let my shoulder fall from the socket (laughs) and my arm be broken off at the elbow. If he's turned to evil and to wickedness, let his arm just fall off. If he's turned to money or security or started to worship the sun or the moon, then let God's judgment fall on him. He just continues on with this list of sins. We could go on and on in this chapter but let's see at the very end where he's hoping to be vindicated. Verse 35, verse 35. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me and the indictment which my adversary has written. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it to myself like a crown. I would declare it to him the number of my steps like a a prince, I would approach him. You see what he's wanting? He's wanting to look to his future when he can appear before God and he can have a hearing before God, which he will get in a little bit next week, but he wants to be declared innocent. He's not perfect, but he wants to be declared innocent. He sees a future where this restoration, this declaration of innocence will come. Now, this is interesting. When he gets pressed in life, Job did not turn to lust, lying, adultery, hurting others, or materialism, he continued to walk in integrity as he looked ahead for God's vindication. When you get pressed in life, do you have like a secret out? Like, you know, I'm gonna walk with the Lord, but if I get pressed, then I'm gonna take this out over here and I'm gonna turn to pornography or I'm gonna turn to alcohol. I'm gonna turn to lying I'll walk with you, Lord, but if I I get pressed too much, I will take an out. And Job's saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there because I'm looking forward to a future where my declaration of innocence will come. And my brothers and sisters, I say to you, you don't have to take an out because you have that declaration of innocence right now. In Jesus, those who put their faith in him are declared innocent. And you say, yeah, but I'm not innocent. And I say, yeah, you're right. But those who put their faith in Christ have Christ's righteousness given to them and Christ takes all your sins on the cross. And so right now, you have a declaration of innocence. You are forgiven in Jesus and that forgiveness will be full-fledged in the future when you see Jesus face to face. So let's do a little pass." present future with you right now okay past we can be thankful and grateful even the junk we went through because God's using it to draw you to himself so we have the present and it's really hard but we're not going to run out the clock right we're going to stay engaged to keep running Because we know that God is doing something, working for our good and his glory. And then we have the future, and we know our future is secure and for sure because we are innocent in Jesus Christ. All those who die in Christ will be with him forever. Okay, so, so far, so good. So the issue is we step back, we look at our past and our present and our future. We have to say, okay, why am I going through this and what's going to happen to me tomorrow? What's going to happen to me next? And um, here's the answer. I don't know. God knows where you're going. He knows where you've been at the start. He knows where you're at right now. And I can guarantee you, he's taking you to the finish line. But my brothers and sisters, he's either going to take you to the finish line with you running, or he is going to drag you there. And you have to decide, am I going to run out the clock? Am I going to give up and say, Lord, I'll just kind of serve you and kind of trust you. Go ahead and drag me across the finish line or are you going to keep running?
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way guided by God's Word.